Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. In some ways, to undertake a spiritual practice is to begin to transform one's life the way that we sense who we are in the world or the way that we relate to the world around us. Um, And it's difficult to do because it's such a deep transformation. It's not just changing our clothes or uh, even the things that we say or believe as thought, but our, our inner way of relating, our heart, our bodies get changed by it. It's long, as best as I can tell, it's for the rest of your life. Sort of like you signed up, sometimes you go and you sign up for a workshop or a course and it lasts a weekend or a week or ten days or a semester. Um, This one lasts from now until the end of your life, minimally if not longer. (laughs) And the other strange thing about it is that um, it doesn't allow dropouts. It's not, I mean, I don't mind, you're quite welcome to drop out as far as I'm concerned, but um, somehow once you start, you can't forget what you've learned. And so you're kind of stuck in the middle. It's like starting to cross some river or channel or something like that, and you can't get back to the other side. You realize that once you've begun, you actually have to complete the journey. And maybe I said this earlier in the the retreat there. Again, something from Trumpa Rinpoche, he had a, gave a large talk one day to an audience, auditorium full of people, and he said, don't start, it's too hard, and it's too difficult. <laughs> if you take my advice, get your money back now before you hear this talk and go home. But he said, if you do choose to begin, then it's best to finish. In returning to the world, to to follow up a little on the theme that I started with last night, then Jamie's got a lot more things to say. Keeping things simple and not having too much of an image by which one lives or judges other people. Uh, There's a a very nice illustration of this from Sansanim, the Korean Zen master, quoted it sometimes before. His main center is in Providence, Rhode Island, and he was sitting around one morning at the breakfast table after having taught all his students that the way of Zen is to do each thing fully to walk when you walk and eat when you eat and uh, be there completely with what you do Um, and he was sitting eating breakfast and reading the paper and one of his students came up and was very upset and said here you teach us to eat when we eat and walk when we walk and read when we read and what are you eating breakfast and reading the paper just like anybody else (laughs) what kind of an example are you as a Zen master and he looked up and he said when you eat and read just eat and read (laughs) (laughs) 
there's a uh, there's a, a letter that was written to uh, Ramdas after the first summers at Naropa Institute when the big classes were we were all teaching there and by this young girl who went back to Canada to uh, Saskatchewan or somewhere out there um, and wrote and complained about how hard it was to be the only Buddhist in her part of Saskatchewan and that her parents were upset and didn't like what she was doing. They were fundamentalist Christians and were in fact going to have her exorcised or something. Something like <laughs> was serious and difficult. And all, all these difficulties. She wrote at the end something very wise. She said, my parents hate me when I'm a Buddhist but they love me when I'm a Buddha. And that was the distinction, not to be a meditator or a spiritual person or a Buddhist or anything. To be a Buddha or to, to act in the, in the spirit of our own Buddha nature. Then people can learn and appreciate from our being in our way rather than our uh, rap or our concepts. So it's to keep things simple. Uh, let it come out of that simplicity. Slow down. Again, I'm talking to myself as much as anyone else, but one of the teachings of the Dharma and of every Dharma, every system of spiritual teaching, is that quality is more significant than quantity. It's not how much you do or how much you can fit into your life, but really how rich it is for you or how present you are for it. Um, do a little less. Slow down. Take more time to walk in the woods or to sit every day or to do whatever things keep you connected with your interior life, with your heart, with your body more fully. Now, it's hard, this journey, even though you're on it and you can't go back. Um, Still, you get to lots of plateaus and lots of places where it's dry, and lots of places where the inspiration goes away. My basic rule is use all the help you can get. And that means um, sitting daily, and Jamie, I think, will talk some more about that. The ways to support it, practicing with other people, sitting with other other folks in your area, starting a sitting group if there isn't one, sit together once a week or twice a week and then have a discussion or listen to tapes or read parts of books that inspire you, making a place in your house to sit, Zafu and I don't know, whatever books or, or things inspire you, put them there. So you walk by it and it reminds you, oh, there's my place to sit. Um, Sitting with other people, not just at sitting groups, if there isn't one, go sit with the Zen people or the Tibetan people or the Quakers or anybody who treasures or values the, this inner listening. Get some help, because there's a real power in that. And the Buddha said at one point to Ananda, his chief disciple, that Ananda had... had stated that he felt like half of the holy life or the spiritual life was having good friends. And the Buddha said, no, in fact, it was the whole of the spiritual life was association with the noble, with, 
noble people and noble uh, things. And having good friends is very, very helpful. Um, reading, doing spiritual reading, things that just evoke or remind you of the things that you've learned here or re- re-stimulate your, your faith, your inspiration, your values. Because it's very hard and you'll find when you go back that for a little while it's easy to sit and then it starts to drop away and everything else fills up your life. Uh, it's one of the most important things you can do this sitting every day. Because um, it's a statement with your body and with your time, not just with your ideas that you do value the quality of life more than the quantity, perhaps. That if you sit in the morning and you get centered or calm, it begins to affect the whole way your day unfolds for you. And if everyone else is losing it around you and you sat, you can bring to that situation some sense of centeredness or peace, not just for yourself, but sort of a gift to each being, each person you come in contact with. It starts to change the world around you. And to sit in the evenings is a way of letting go, of relaxing, of really practicing this living more in the moment by letting go of what happened during the day. Even if you sit and all that you experience at night is thought and the body shaking from all the things that it's accumulated during the day, So you think, gee, this is a terrible sitting. I shouldn't do it because it's too painful or it doesn't seem very concentrated. Do it anyway. It's a release. It's a place to let all that stuff go. And if that's all that happens, fine. Then you get up and you're, you're more present because that stuff is released. So it's very hard and it has its dark nights and it has its, um, times when it doesn't seem to be working. Uh, and you need all the support you can get from other people, from books, from the regular place, from coming to more retreats, uh, from all kinds of things like that. Take all the support you can. There are a lot of people on the same journey with you. It may not seem so sometimes when you walk around in the society, but there really are. There's hundreds and thousands and maybe millions in the world of people whose lives have started to become oriented toward awakening or toward greater truth or the development of our capacity of heart to love everything and everybody. I just want to share a few things, some of which have been touched on, some not. First of all, on a practical level, uh, 
as far as leaving the retreat, you've probably seen what a difference it makes once you start opening your mouth as far as balance or calmness, concentration or mindfulness. And it can get very tricky, although Jack has mentioned it already, um, to want to hold on to what you got here. Often that's one of the most difficult aspects of the return, holding on to the concentration or the mindfulness or somehow feeling that you got something that's supposed to be now uh, in your life all the time as far as the level of awareness that, that was reached. It doesn't work that way. Really, what you've seen again and again probably during the retreat is when you try to hold on to something it's painful and the power and the relief in letting go of that grasping is again coming into a balance so watch that tendency and let go gracefully of the concentration and the level of balance or mindfulness that you might have gotten here And especially the next few days, uh, be very gentle and kind to yourself and to other people that you see. There's a lot of insanity out there. There's a lot of insanity in here, as you've seen. (laughs) Well, out there, they don't have a clue that that's what's going on in their minds and just acting on uh, automatic pilot. And it can be very jolting to see all the uh, unskillful action out in the world. And so remember the non-judging part, particularly. Also, you're very wide open after somewhat of a cleansing these last ten days. You're, you might think of yourself like a, a tender baby, you know, just kind of coming out into the world. And you'll possibly be subject to different energy swings or different mood swings. That's a very natural part of the process if you find that that's happening with you. Instead of thinking of it as a 10-day retreat, you might think of it as a 20-day retreat. And here's the, uh, the transitional period coming up. <coughs> I mentioned to one group uh, the other day first time I had done a long retreat, a three-month retreat, <clears throat> gotten fairly still and, and quiet. And then integration week started where you getting used to talking, socializing. And as soon as I opened up my mouth, self-consciousness and judgment and paranoia, just the whole show was like it was, it seemed, when I started. And I got very frustrated and discouraged and went running to one of the teachers and uh, really at a loss what was happening. thought about asking for my money back. I didn't do that, but I thought I'd be justified in doing it. <clears throat> What's the point of all this, uh, I asked. And was told something which put the, put the journey into perspective. As Jack mentioned yesterday, your personality is something that you'll probably hang out with for a while, this lifetime anyway. And it's not that you're going to do away 
with all those old habits of mind that have been deeply conditioned, but the practice lets you relate to them with a little bit more compassion and gentleness and less judgment. It's kind of like making friends with all the old tapes. You know, you press the right button or the right stimulus comes along and triggers it and there's tape number 17, paranoia, or tape number 23, anger, tape number five, lust, whatever it is. And instead of saying, oh my goodness, it's still here, you know, how do I get rid of it? It's, oh, here's tape number five, okay? And you don't have to be so swept away with it. So if you see all those old tendencies, just remember that, that gentleness and not identifying with it. Just seeing, oh, there's that tendency, that old tape. <clears throat> Sometimes people think that they're supposed to be microscopically mindful out in the world. And that's when the practice is really uh, working. It doesn't work that way on a practical level that I've seen. It would be kind of hard to carry a conversation on and note talking, talking. (laughs) It's to be really natural with what's happening just doing what you're doing and being as present as you can for it. The way it works on a practical level, from my own experience, is that when you get really thrown off balance, the more you practice, there's a little signal in the mind. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be freak out time. And there's a little reminder, oh yeah, be mindful. Maybe watching your breath for a moment or two, and then seeing, oh, that's what's happening, just the mind spinning out. So just to be natural and watching as best you can. Mindfulness has lots of different lenses. There's that microscopic or zoom lens that really narrows in and notices the movement as the air sweeps past the nostrils or whatever. And then there's a more global, there's a wide-angle lens, different moods and different... Um, feelings that come up and that's just as good a lens of mindfulness as the other. So from here on in really the game is reminders as as Jack started to mention because you know everything that you really need to know. know. Pay attention and don't judge. It's hard enough when you're concentrating on doing that for 10 days, though. So it's very easy to forget. So the idea is to remind yourself in as many ways as you can. And as was mentioned, the foundation of those reminders is having a daily sitting practice. It's so easy to have it slip out of your life or to forget it or to think that, well, I got it, I got the idea. It doesn't stay that way if you just kind of have it as, as an idea. When I first got turned on to the practice, everything made sense. It was like coming home. It was, it was fantastic. But I tried to figure out every way I could to get around the sitting part. Do I really have to do that, though? I did, and I do, until you are a fully enlightened being who no longer forgets what's happening in the moment 
it's helpful to reconnect with what you have seen here. And sitting out in the world is going to be probably a very different experience than the sitting here. There's no way that that you're going to get as concentrated with so much stimulation and responsibility and things to take uh, to take care of. And so not to have that expectation when you sit that it should be any one particular way. It's a lot more useful to just have the image of putting in your time, like you're punching a time clock, just put in your time and as soon as it's over, it's over. No need to judge, oh, that was a good sit, that was a bad sit. In fact, that just gets in the way. People sometimes have the idea when they're really spun out, oh, I'm too scattered to sit now. Forget it. I'll sit when I'm a bit more calm. You don't need it so much when you're calm or as much as when you're scattered. Instead of having the idea of too scattered to to sit, if you can somehow turn that around and see when you're really scattered or confused or lost, time to sit. Time to sit. Just see all that stuff going on and here you are, just breathing and sitting. As far as how long to sit, there's no one right way. You want to play your forward edge because it's like any other habit. The more you do, the more it becomes a part of the way you you are. But if it seems like an unrealistic chore to sit two hours a day, don't get into the idea, oh, well, I can't sit two hours, so I just might not as well sit at all. If sitting for a half an hour a day is what, at this point, you can fit into your life, that's better than nothing. In fact, sitting five minutes is better than nothing. And so, see what you can realistically put into your schedule and make it a part of your life. There's something about sitting for... Once heard a Zen master say, it takes about 35 minutes for most minds to settle down. So it's useful to sit for 40 minutes, get a little five-minute settling in process. There's something about sitting for a time where you can't see the end immediately in sight, so you can just settle into what's happening. But again, just seeing for what, seeing what works for you. <clears throat> it takes a real commitment. It won't happen otherwise. <clears throat> And it might seem like a very good idea six months from now to have gotten into a daily sitting practice. It would have been nice if I did that. And that would be unfortunate if that's that's what happens to you. I want to read a short passage from... uh, This is from the Scottish Himalayan Expedition on commitment. And you can relate to it perhaps in your sitting commitment to sitting, or anything in your life that you really value. It says, Until one is committed, there is hesitancy, the chance to draw back, always ineffectiveness, concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans that the moment one definitely commits oneself, 
Then providence moves to. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issues from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance, which no man or woman could have dreamt would have come their way. I've learned a deep respect for one of Goethe's couplets. Whatever you can do or dream you can, begin it. Boldness has genius, power, and magic in it. So to make that commitment, to make that resolve of mind that this is something you value, I think is really useful. I've been doing something the last few times I've given this talk that I just want to do with you. It's a short process that um, perhaps can firmly implant that seed. I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. And picture yourself at home or wherever it is that you think it might be likely that you would sit regularly. Just imagine yourself sitting right now. Waking up in the morning or whenever it feels right in your schedule. Just get in touch with how that feels for you to be putting in your time right now. Honoring that place of awareness. Now imagine the sitting is ending and you're getting up ready to start the rest of your day and see how that feels having put in your time connecting with the Dharma if that seems like a valuable thing to do like a useful thing to do See if you can right now make a commitment to making that part of your life. This is where it starts right now. Not because you're trying to be a good person, but because it's something that will help you to be a bit clearer and bring a little bit more peace in your life and clarity. Okay, you can open your eyes now. Some other things besides sitting, some other reminders. Doing walking, not necessarily super slow, lifting, moving, placing. Although that can be helpful if you do that at home. Maybe before you do sit for a few moments to, um, to make that transition. But 
more practically outside in the world, out in the street. Just noticing every now and then, oh, left, right, left, right, walking. And you can make a game out of it. Nobody has to know what's going on. You can be daydreaming like the rest of the people for all they know. But again, coming back to here and just knowing, oh, this is what's happening, walking, it gives a little space for all the other stuff not to have such a a big hold on you. Eating, which is a time that we usually fill up doing a lot of other things, a pleasant experience that we often space out on. If you can just stop before you eat the meal for a moment, which is not so uncommon in our culture. Many people do it. Just pause for a moment and realize that you're about to eat. That that's what's happening. Oh, eating. Maybe connect with the the good fortune you have for eating. A little gratitude. But to be aware that, that eating is happening and then taking that first bite mindfully. It's like it's poking three or more holes in the cloud of uh, the chattering mind. So sitting, walking, eating. Taking a daily activity is also really useful. Something that you do routinely, whether it's washing the dishes or um, showering or brushing your teeth or whatever it is. I take shaving. That's my practice period. Okay, and often I forget, you know, in the, somewhere at the beginning of the, the shave. But sooner or later, almost every time, you know, oh, yeah, shaving, 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 trying, whatever it is. And again, that's your practice time to just insert a little bit more mindfulness in your day. Using the breath, when you're really getting lost, overwhelmed, if you can just remember to stop what you're doing and take a few deep breaths, it grounds you, it connects you, it connects you with the practice. It's amazing what a half a minute of just being with breathing will do to change your reality. have to make a big show of it. You don't have to close your eyes if there's people around. Just very quietly breathe. Everybody's allowed to do it. (laughs) In and out. Something else that's really useful is posture. Being aware of posture, especially in conversation where there's so many things happening and so easy to get spun out. Just to feel your body. Feel your, your butt making contact. So the words come from a bit more grounded place. Dealing with highs and lows, which is probably a lot of what you've been doing for the time you've been here. The practice just shows a little slice of what life is like. There's highs and then there's lows. Highs and then there's lows. We keep on having to learn the lesson when we hold on to the high, it's painful because the low is going to follow. When we hold on to the low because we're afraid 
By holding on, I mean trying to resist it and keeping it here. We forget the impermanence that this too is going to pass. (coughs) And so to use whatever it is, whatever part of the cycle that you're in, as a way to wake up. If it's a high, really enjoy it. Really be here fully for it without thinking, "Uh uh-oh, what if this goes? It will. But just understand that it will go and here it is now to be appreciated. And when you're in the middle of the low, where's the lesson in this? How can I, I open up more? I heard one teacher say, if there's a conflict between you and the unfolding, between you and the Dharma, chances are the problem doesn't lie with the Dharma. (laughs) It's just the unfolding, just the way things are happening. How you relate to it, though, that's what this path can have some real effect on. I read one person talking about the Buddhist path, the Buddhist teaching. He said, the real miracle that this path has to offer is a change of heart. Outward circumstances might not change, but your relationship to it might. Ms. Jack mentioned other things like community, like connection, having books. There's a book list downstairs. Really take advantage of it. Just have a book nearby, maybe by your night table or uh, in your room that really touches you. There are lots of books that any place you happen to open up, that's what you need to hear. Just have them nearby when you feel like you've lost it. The sitting with people is really helpful just to get that support. There's lots of different sitting groups happening around this area. uh, And there's a list, not just on the long table, but on the round table from last uh, Yucca Valley's retreat of other sitting groups that um, that might be near you in Southern California and uh, other parts actually around the, around the country. And in the Inquiring Mind, there's a list of various sitting groups around the country too. Doing retreats, there's something special in this kind of situation that lets you see a bit more clearly. What you've gotten here it takes a little while to digest, but it's in there. It's in there. And each time you go back, you just touch new levels of understanding and awareness, just where you happen to be and what you happen to, uh, to need to hear. So really to take advantage of that. There's a longer retreat that's coming up if you're really psyched up for the practice in about uh, 12 days or so up here that another teacher named Christopher Titmus and I will be doing. He's a wonderful teacher, British, with a whole um, unique style and approach to Dharma. Also weekends, just as a way to kind of remind yourself and reestablish the practice. Uh, there'll be a weekend here that I'll be doing um, in the middle of December, December 14th through 16th which is often a good time for people to sit before the, um, the rush of the holidays just to get collected. And there's information on that downstairs. Using relationships 
as part of practice. We talked about it. There's nothing outside of the practice. This is what you've been given. This is what you can work with. And lastly, I just want to mention before we um, take some questions and then have some announcements and close with some loving-kindness meditation. Just a sense of gratitude. It's really something precious that we've all touched here. Even with the suffering and the knee pains and the confusions in the mind, there's something very precious about seeing that there's an alternative than being so caught up in our fears and our projections to have a a greater connection with life and see that there's a possibility for peace and for balance and understanding and awareness. And it's a very valuable and powerful attitude to carry with you from the retreat and to carry and and keep in your life that sense of gratitude, the gift that you have, the tools that, that we have. It's a kind of way of completing the circuit between us and the Dharma. That might be a bit dualistic and on one level we are the Dharma but until we are fully enlightened sometimes it's useful to work with that level of concepts. Whatever reason we've been given so much and just to to give back and that that quality of gratitude takes many different forms. It means taking the responsibility to really work on yourself as sincerely as possible and really touch others with the same compassion and kindness that you can give to yourself. Because that's what the world needs. It keeps you from dwelling on what's wrong and instead just cultivating what's good. And the more you can tune into that, that's what you create in your world. That's what you draw out in your world. And so see if you can carry that sense of gratitude with you as you leave the retreat and make it a big part of your life. Okay, so um, we're going to have time for some questions. Yeah, people have questions. Yeah. For either Jack or... to uh, take a trip to 
very different culture and a much slower and quieter one if you went to the South Seas for a while or to, uh, to Asia or Tibet or something like that and came back there's real culture shock and you find yourself both more open and vulnerable in certain ways and quieter we have a week or so of integration period for some people that that helps a whole lot other people mm-hmm. it's a much longer process than that the rule of thumb for people who travel overseas is that it takes you about as long to come back as you were away. If you go away for a year or two, it often takes a year or two to really feel yourself not just back, but connected in, in a full way again in this culture. Um, for many people, the whole year after a three-month retreat is a congestion time with a lot of highs and lows. And it's very Right, the three-month retreat is basically run like, like this retreat. The schedule gets at times a bit more intensive, but much of it is more open and you're uh, encouraged to find your own rhythm in sitting and walking. Um, there are talks every couple of nights, and you know, it's a fairly large group. Barry's a wonderful place to practice, and the fall is the nicest season in the group. Usually a hundred or, or more people at the three-month retreat. It's, uh, it's very special. The one for this year is full. There's a waiting list. If someone was, was really bent on doing it, put your name on the waiting list, there's some chance you could still get it. It's, it's a very special way to practice. I just want to say also, it, it might seem a little bit frightening, what Jack just said. Actually, I, I consider it like a five-month retreat, uh, although it's, it could be considered a you know, a whole year after, but from what I've seen, if I just give myself the space to go through whatever I need to go through a few months after I get back, you know, then it's okay. And on the other side, it's it's really incredibly valuable and powerful and transforming. And I've done four the full three months and one one half of one and each one is just you know, touched to different levels uh, if you have the inclination and the opportunity to do it I really encourage you to do it 20 years from now you'll look back and see that those three months are still are still affecting you in positive ways and right now just want to mention I, I had just finished a three month retreat which I, I talked a bit about, which was very powerful for me, and in a bit sensitive space, and also the stuff with, with my father is certainly sensitive. But when I make it okay, you know, all right, so I'm not my solid or illusion of solid self. You know. All right, so this is sensitive Jamie or cautious Jamie coming out now. And so that's part of the process, and that changes too. Again, it's to let whatever is happening be happening. It gets digested and then comes out, and you're that much stronger afterwards.